Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, and welcome to the Beacon Broadcast. I'm your host, Bobberton. And joining me, I have Tyler. Hey. I have Patrick. Hello. And I have Blue. Hello, I'm Professor Offpin. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and with that, let's get right into it with thoughts on the episode. So this episode, uh, Volume Four or Episode Four, Family. Uh, I thought yeah. I thought it was great. The current episode. Seamless. <laughs> I thought it was a really strong episode of Ruby. Yeah. Yeah, mildly dark. He didn't die happy again, so I'm okay. Yeah, I actually thought like like this show has gone super dark in the past. Obviously, Season Four is in part sticking to that, in part sort of lightening it up, um, and this episode actually seemed to, to shift between the two but it never felt jarring you know yeah. it's nice to take a bit of the pressure off us just for an episode and uh, for me this episode it kind of felt like a lot of things occurred but not a lot happened yeah there was that you know really awesome conversation uh with yang and taiyang and the two boyfriends yes. <laughs> and there was the whole conversation with crow and that tiny little scene with the hello i'm professor osman at the start and that was kind of it yeah but that still spanned 16 minutes yeah in terms of plot movement it was definitely very um subtle i would say and often it seemed to focus on character development which is wonderful like we love more character development always Mm -hmm. i I love learning that professor port is afraid of mice (laughs) he's not alone in that I they bring only pain. disease and... Oh, I forgot what he said. Famine. 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 They eat our crops and steal our women. And <laughs> <laughs> women. Anyway, the episode I thought was, was strong. Certainly sort of slow in terms of plot movement. Definitely not designed to be a big tentpole episode. I mean, there was no fight at all, which oh, yeah. at this point is kind of becoming unusual for Ruby. <laughs> so it, It's kind know. of a breath of fresh air in a way. I do miss the fight scenes, but it's nice for the... If they happened every episode, we would get bored. Yeah, and we got some more insight. And additionally, we got exposition uh, last week in the World of Remnant, which then directly tied into this episode. So I like how they're kind of doing that. Your World of Remnant, then immediately in the next episode, you see it in action. So uh, we learned about the towns. As opposed to where it used to be, we see it in the episode, we're confused, and then they bring the World of Remnant out to explain it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, those first couple of World of Remnants where it's just like, oh yeah, by the way, all these things that yeah. we needed to explain. We didn't do it in the actual episode. Yeah, that, that was definitely a better way of, uh, of achieving it. My only concern with, with the World of Remnants in general is whether they translate to the viewers who watch these things on, on DVD or in film or on Netflix. Like, they don't see mm. those, obviously, um, unless they go out specifically looking for them, which I can't imagine generally they do. As a consequence, I don't know if they miss out on some vital information. Or if they just pick it up, like in this episode, uh, I interrupted you talking about the World of Remnant, but it basically concerned the uh, small villages and, and communities between the big cities. And it asked, so, or it answered the questions, why are they there? How do they get there? How do they survive the Grim? Yeah, how do they stay there is a big question. Like... Yeah. 
Maybe and, and, like um, big hippie communes and everyone's really happy and high so they don't feel the negative emotions. Like I they're so that. positive, the grim are repelled by it. So the solution yeah. is just be a hippie. I'm down. Flower power. Monty said so. F flower power. Call it leaf power. The hippie was inside us all along. It's not so much flower power, it's more like leaf power. <laughs> Maybe the hippies were the friends we made along the way. In any case, it was great to see all of that stuff come into play in this episode, as you said. We went to the town. Can anyone remember the name of the town? And what a nice little town as well. Uh, I saw a couple of, a few pe different people screenshotting, uh, you know, making wallpapers out of out of that shot of the, uh, you know, the whole town that we got right at the end of the episode in the concept art. And the whole, oh, yeah. the whole thing looked that pretty. I expect we're going to see more of that specific town next week. Do you know what this reminded me of? Maybe it was because mm. it was in the rain and they were staying at an inn, but it really reminded me of Bree from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I was about to say. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Definitely oh my had God. a similar aesthetic. And there's even a grumpy older guy wearing a cloak. Oh my fuck. It all fits in. <laughs> it all fits. Carrie, Carrie did walk the Mordor ones. Yeah, true. he did. That's true. Yeah. I'm just imagining like Crow going around like putting candles out with like wet fingers and saying, I can and then they turn off the lights and turn it back on and there's a bird there squawking <laughs> it's raven just flapping her arms around and screaming just but freaking him out <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> my sister doesn't handle her liquor well well and uh, one of the interesting things about the World of Remnant that kind of tied in is we saw from episode two, Shion got leveled yeah, um, by bandits and then by Grimm mm -hmm. and then by more Grimm and then by even more Grimm yeah. and so many Grimm. Anyway, just a lot of Grimm. And we found out those bandits were Crow and Raven's quote unquote family clan. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the cool tie in with that was Crow is narrating the world of remnants yeah so he talks about the bandits and then we immediately hear that raven is part of the bandits that attacked and then devastated shion so we got some insight into how the tribe kind of works through a explanation from crow that probably is hands-on experience from it's him. interesting that they've shifted the narration of the world of remnants to crow from salem I wonder if that's because if she was doing the World of Remnants this time around, nobody would trust anything yeah. she said. Because she does them as a sort of neutral observer in the first three volumes. She's just generic narrating and she's not doing anything specifically plot-based. And this one was different in that it had some of Crow's personality mixed into the whole thing, including some actual background experience. So I wonder if they thought, well, we can't have Salem doing this because everybody's gonna hate her well everybody already hates her guts because she's the big bad why would we have her disseminating all of our world building information anymore i don't know from some of the posts i've seen on tumblr i think a lot of people really really like Maybe salem the people who are making the world of remnant just stopped paying her like they want salem to win no something about like stepping on people i don't know it was a weird post yeah okay all right moving right along I thought it was cool how the world remnants are kind of starting to directly tie into the narrative a little more than just exposition. Yeah, especially with regards to these bandits. Like, we haven't heard much about these bandits in the past, but now we're getting, well, we got even more information last week, but also this week, Crow and Raven's really interesting discussion that I thought was really well written, actually. A great scene. I watched it a couple of times, actually, which I don't normally do. But I really enjoyed that, and I wondered what else there is to learn about this mysterious group of bandits, this clan, as we said, were Crow and Raven's family. 
one thing I want to know about them is I want to know if that hoof print looking design is their mark or if that was a grim because if that's their mark weren't Ren and Nora's village taken out by like bandits? I think that it's going to be a really interesting plot point later where Crow or Raven might meet up with Team insert name here and have to watch him deal with the fact that he may or may not have had a hand in the destruction of the village and possibly their parents. Like Ruby might be forced to choose between her friends and her family for a brief I got the moment. sense that maybe Crow was out of it by then but Raven definitely was not. And I don't really know to what extent Ruby and Raven have a relationship, but they certainly do to one point or another. I sort of want to talk about that a little bit. We don't know whether or not Raven or Ruby have actually met each other. If they meet up, it might just be a bit of dramatic irony, like, oh, the, us, the audience, know who Raven is, but Ruby doesn't. She just assumes that she's another thug. But... I assume Raven would know, though, wouldn't you? I assume Raven knows, but Ruby definitely wouldn't, and I'm not sure Raven would. Or maybe if Raven was in a situation where she wanted to taunt Ruby, if she was like fighting her, she would drop hints about, hey, didn't you ever wonder who I was? Hey, surprise, look at my eyes, look at my hair, look at my giant tits. I am related to Yang. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I feel like it'd be more of Raven has clearly decided that the strong will defeat the weak, but she will save people who are important to her once and only once. Ruby may not be important to her, but Ruby's important to Yang. Ruby's important to her brother. Ruby's important to the man she pretend married or whatever that situation was. She might save Ruby and go, "This is your one." And when Ruby asks her why, she'll just I be like, "Ask Crow." Raven is going to offer an invitation to join the tribe to either Ruby or Yang, but it's only going to come once because that is not the same as saving our lives. So she's going to say, hey, we're part of this group that is going to ride out this oncoming storm that is going to destroy humanity. Do you want to be part of the group that survives or not? The thing is, she seems overly pragmatic, like pragmatism to an extreme seems to be her defining trait, to the point where it kind of makes her a bit of an asshole in some cases. Oh, really? <laughs> You're not looking at this pragmatically, So Felix. I would think that if she doesn't see a practical reason for Ruby and Yang to be a part of her group, and she certainly feels that her group is very strong, Going back to Raven meeting Ruby, I don't think that Raven actually sees Ruby as having any sort of familial tie to her. And Crow definitely has that you have a weird definition of family line. Because Raven and Ruby are not, correct me if I'm wrong, they're not technically related because they have no blood ties because Summer, Summer Rose is Ruby's mother and Summer and Raven were teammates. Raven kind of upped and left, or so is the assumption. It could be that Tai Yang pulled away from her and sort of gravitated towards Summer. And so Raven could hate Ruby because she is a reminder. I can see where you'd be sort of getting that from to an extent, but I think if that were the case, Raven would feel much more strongly about Yang than she does. And that, that amount that she feels about Yang would be the inverse of how much she would hate Ruby. And the fact is, she doesn't seem to care that much about but Yang. But we have to have them actually meet to the, for that to be confirmed. If she is pragmatic to a fault, she probably wouldn't care which way Actually, she... thinking about it pragmatically, she actually probably would want Ruby to join up with her. 
because yeah. Ruby has that silver eye power, which is quite powerful. And her whole thing is the strong survive, the weak die. To bolster her clan, she would bring into the fold a more powerful person. So I actually wouldn't put it past Raven to actually offer Ruby a position amongst the clan. But I don't see any incentive Ruby would have, based on the information given, for her to join up with a group full of bandits who possibly killed her friend's parents. I wonder if maybe the way like when Yang was born, obviously blonde hair and violet eyes like her dad... If that's why Raven left, but pragmatically you, you can't give birth to children to be strong to be the next generation to lead. If Yang appeared to be a copy of Tai Yang and not have Raven's weird portal power, Raven may have left her because she feels no connection to Yang. Yang almost yeah. disappointed her. Certainly possible. It's almost like this. This is gonna sound totally weird, but let me explain. It's almost like Yang is kind of a. I, for lack of a better term, like a half-breed, because if you look at the colour motif, um, Yang's eyes are literally a blend of Tai Yang's eyes and Raven's eyes. Tai Yang has blue eyes, and Raven has red eyes. And maybe I'm thinking too far into this. It's red versus blue all over again. <laughs> but like, there wasn't enough of Raven in there and maybe raven was sort of trying to create this perfect child that would be a certain balance of those two traits but she's inherited too much of tai yang and not enough of raven yeah let's move on and talk about uh ospen yeah let's talk about ospen so uh as, as most people suspected um farm boy or sweet honey honey farm child or oscar as as we discovered, his actual name is, is linked to Ospin. Um, that, that scene is kind of, uh, like, the two scenes that we've seen Oscar in are, are very sort of deliberately kind of uh, oblique. They, they don't really present us with the full story. That said, we seem to be getting a good idea of where things are headed there, right? Yeah, I have a feeling, I have a feeling we're not going to see, like, a scene longer than five minutes and has more than three words yeah for a while in regards to oscar yeah Um, they're gonna they're gonna be keeping it sort of uh close to their chest yeah oh yeah we also discovered oscar has an ant um now that doesn't seem particularly relevant just yet when we know we know nothing about her but there are there is an ant in the wizard of oz and, and this sort of seems to very closely resemble that Man with two souls. I am, like, thank you, Tyler, for bringing that up, because I have the feeling that Oscar is going to be the next host of Ozpin. Emphasis on host, as in, like, Ozpin is going to, like, take over his body. Yeah. The man with two souls. Ozpin's going to forcibly go, hey, by the way, I need this. Give me your body. slightly more polite than that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. You don't introduce yourself as Professor Ozpin in a cheery voice if you're just going to be like, this body, I'll take it. Thank you, child. Certainly that seems to be the popular theory, though. Uh, the, the idea that Oscar is going to, in one way or another, become Ozpin. Uh, the question is obviously the specifics on that. How is that going to happen? He drinks a little bit more coffee every day until he can't put the milk down. <laughs> that explains why Ublek chugs coffee. 
coffee, <laughs> alcohol, probably, maybe gasoline. He's a bit young for that. He looks about 12. So, so the question here is like, how is, is this something that Ogvin does, quote unquote, regularly? Like, whenever he dies, is, is it something where he he moves into another form, another 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 body, another host? Um, how many times does this happen? Just how old is Ogvin? Has anyone ever read the books Animorphs? Because I'm going to use that as an yeah. analogy. Alright, remember the Yurks. In the book, there are these gray slugs that enter through the ear canal and take over the host's brain. And basically, they're a parasite to take control of the body to take control yeah, of the suck. brain. Delicious. Now, pretend Ogden is not the slug, but instead his soul just sort of wraps around the person's body. It's a soul slug. Down. Yeah, some of those Yurks became uh, like symbiotic parasites where the host and the yurks were friends and they worked together and they had conversation together. Maybe he just like conversated with his host body like he explains why he needs the body, why it's important and the person generally goes, okay yeah this is slightly more important than me farming. Go kill the witch. It's okay aunt, it's a friendly demonic possession. Yeah, it still seems a little too on the on the dark edge for for Ospin. I'm not saying it won't happen. The way that other people talk about Ospin and the way that like Salem has talked about him and the way that he said I've made more mistakes than any man, woman, and child. I get the feeling that this is gonna be pretty dark, and I wouldn't put it past Ospin to basically kill this child to take his body, so to speak. I, I really wouldn't put it past him. Perhaps. I, I was, like, furiously watching all of the Oscar scenes from episode one and this episode, trying to see exactly what it is that changes about his appearance that he doesn't, doesn't like, that he notices in the mirror. Um, I thought maybe initially it might be the eyes, like, I thought maybe his eyes are getting a little bit greener. Um, but honestly, they shift so much in those episodes just because of the lighting that they're in. It's, it's, it's so hard to tell. Um, and, and then I thought maybe it's his hair. I thought it might have been his hair changing color, like going grayer or something. Yeah, I didn't see it. Or sp- slightly spikier or anything. Maybe during the full moon, when the moon finally gets full, he'll turn full in Osborne. <laughs> Maybe. I'm totally waiting for a magical girl transformation in a tornado. I'm going to call that now. <laughs> I'll watch that. Oh no, I, like, you were just talking about like his hair like starting to stick up, and I was just like, wait, is he turning into a mod? <laughs> is he turning into Matt Bellamy from Muse? Wow, what a twist. It was Matt Bellamy from Muse all along. <laughs> Soon he's going to start like saying, our time is running out, but he's not going to understand what that means for ages. <laughs> One thing I did notice when I was going back and I was watching those little uh, scenes with uh, Oscar, were those blood stains on the sink? No. Rust stains. I don't think so. I think it was rust. He is a poor, innocent child and is not murdering anyone. Babardin, as someone who has had a dirty sink in a dirty area, it's just rust, let me tell you. Blood doesn't leave stains. It, But they seemed like handprints. It's a sink. It's going to be dirty no matter what you do with it. And it is in a farmhouse, so... But I was just, like, curious. Is like, is there some weird, like, farming ritual that occurs in... Uh, remnant where it's just like water the crops with blood that could be where you clean the chickens you know cut off the head hang it over the sink let it drain gut it do they have chickens isn't that what everyone does with their chickens i mean some people keep them for eggs something else to note about that very first oscar scene is uh it cuts from um salem and salem's lot sort of uh 
Yeah, yeah, the boardroom of evil. <laughs> and it cuts to him sort of waking up uh, suddenly, scared. And it seems to be like this, there's there's some link there. So I, my guess is that that Ozpin is already in his head in some way. Uh, you know, which which obviously is. Uh, further evidence by the fact that we don't see Ozpin when he says, hello, I'm Professor Ozpin. Uh, that makes me think that uh, Ozpin's already in his head in some way. The question is just how he's going to get from there to possibly controlling him, possibly just getting him to work with him. Yeah. I hope it isn't too dark. Well, you know, we'll see. Well, he's already inside of him. The, the worst thing that could happen that he has to take control by force. The kid can consent or not. Either way, it's happening. To play devil's advocate here, we're all assuming that um, that this kid is gonna like be Ozpin's meat puppet. Meat puppet, yes. What if he just knows? What if Oscar just knows the location of the Spring Maiden? Hmm. Maybe. Possibly. I, I, that's that's cer certainly possible. Um, I'm like I was hoping before we knew that that uh, his name was Oscar. I was hoping that in some way. That they were gonna be the spring maiden and it was gonna be a gender thing but i don't think it's gonna be a gender thing. Nah, I, I i think this is probably the the next incarnation of ozpin possibly the wizard um if ozpin is the wizard well, you know just gotta throw some uh, alternative theories out there I do support Trans Spring Maiden simply because Oscar has the freckles where yeah. Spring Maiden did. He's also got the, he's also got a very like if you look at the character models for the males and the females, the fem he has the more sort of feminine facial structure. There's an ambiguity to it, absolutely, and I I, I, I suspect that it might be by design. Yeah, I th I'm thinking design choice on that one. Uh... We'll have to see, um, but that that sort of. Where I'm hoping it's going, uh, and on a scale of like things I really want to happen versus things I really don't want to happen, one end you've got transferring maiden, at the other end you've got uh, uh, Oscar is is a meat puppet. So you want the meat puppet? Is what I'm hearing. I want meat puppet, meat puppet, meat puppet, meat puppet. Why don't we talk about that wonderful little scene uh, with uh, Yang and Tai Yang and and the, and the professors and the boyfriends, and the boyfriends, and the boyfriends. Yes. The boyfriend does. carry only disease. That was a really nice little scene. I thought. Um, I, I I liked the 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 tension of of Yang entering the room and nobody really knowing like like how to deal with it, what to say, and how to say it. But then when everyone became more comfortable with each other, I especially loved yeah. uh, the moment when Professor Port says to to Yang, uh, "Miss Xiaolong, uh, Yang." I really liked that. That that made me feel like 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 that's a that's a really important moment. I don't know how much of these two characters we're going to see for the rest of the volume. Maybe none at all. Maybe this is sort of them dropping in and then saying, bye, we're out now. Um, I think we'll see but... them during their wedding. <laughs> I'm just going to keep really... pushing that ship. Don't ship things personally, but just they're boyfriends. I I just love Ublek dropping his mug and like trying to leave after the joke is dropped. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was that was good. That was real good. Uh, I and I, it was interesting to see. Like, did that feel like a natural moment to, to you guys? The the sort of the the the, the quote unquote off collar joke, and then and then Yang sort of like that that being part of their banter. Like, I I, I, I can see that it could, but it didn't feel quite right for Tai Yang, who so far I, has seemed like a very sincere, very earnest kind of guy. I sort of thought that it 
was just Yang brushing off what could have been a very sort of like I got the feeling that Tai Yang didn't like really mean it. Like you say really scathing things to a person, but you kind of regret them as soon as you say them. And I feel like Yang was just brushing us brushing it aside. It seemed like the way that they both laughed at it, like it was part of their established dynamic. Like like that that he felt like he could make these jokes and she felt like it was okay and, and, and she wasn't worried or offended and and but that but that seemed kind of at odds with the Tai Yang that we've known so far, at least yeah. To, to my seen, view. We've never really seen that before. One of the things I will say is, so far what we've seen, sort of, is kind of Tai Yang the parent. Yeah. And I think what we got a glimpse there of was Tai Yang the teacher and the mentor to Yang when he started to grow up. Because from the looks of his design, he seems like a brawling type. Mm. We saw them sparring together in the opening. Yeah. He probably taught Yang how to use her weapons so i think that kind of dynamic probably spawned out of them training together and kind of like a mentor student and less of a father-daughter i see it i totally see it so what we saw was the father-daughter in the first episode with sad yang yeah now in the context of being with other teachers and reminiscing about the old days as a teacher because that's sort of what the story that he was going for with. Yeah, and that's reinforced by the very business-like way at the very end that he says, all right, let's get started, or, or let's get to it. That's yeah. very much let's the same tone. You know how you know how you'll crack joke with your parents, and as you get older, the jokes get a little less child-friendly and more. You're just taking shots at each other. Oh, yeah. It felt like that. It felt like that because Yang is a yeah. very almost charming person. In that aspect where you can't knock her down in any sense, and she had already established, "I'm not Miss Xiaolong. I'm Yang." She is in the room. Yang had started the conversation, establishing, "Treat me as an equal." Mm. How do you treat someone like an equal? You take something and you kind of hit them when they're down, but not exactly like you poke at them a little you take yeah. up the safety there so it felt like it was established because she established it herself i'm right here don't treat me like i'm broken all right you don't yeah. want to be broken you're losing your mind like you lost your arm i felt like the ones the off note i would say for this episode and it is very minor but it was during that scene when they were arguing when it was felt like a sincere argument rather than them just sort of screwing around the conversation didn't feel like quite a natural flow because in an argument there's a lot of talking over one another in all conversations that's the case but in an argument especially when you're trying to get over a specific point and steamroll the other person as much as possible that's how most arguments tend to work there felt like too much politeness and turn taking in this argument which struck sort of slight wrong note for me but that is minor yeah and also i think what that could be is just for clarity for the audience you know when people talk over each other you got to parse the information of two different people so they might have just done that as a stylistic thing not to have them arguing over that each could other even come to like interruptions though it, the thing that really surprised me was seeing that nobody in this argument tried to stop somebody else from finishing a sentence in my experience at least that's how most arguments tend to go that is because at beacon they have debate class and you get to speak when the other person stops Additionally, they're all fighters, and if you interrupt somebody while they're trying to say <laughs> something, it could end in a punched nose. Yeah. So but you got hit anyway. Like, so you hit him anyway. You can That's only true. interrupt someone with your fist. Yeah, I mean ding, that was a friendly ding, hit. That wasn't like a stop talking now. I wasn't finished kind of a fist. <laughs> yeah. I mean maybe you're right. Maybe generally arguments tend to get more physical in the Rubyverse. In general, though, I really liked 
the feeling of that scene, you know, when it was nice and sweet. And I, I really enjoyed, well, I don't know if enjoyed is the word. A bit that struck a chord with me was Tai Yang saying, he's got to stay at home. He's got to look after Yang. And Yang hearing that, her guilt must be going through the roof. Uh, oh my god. She must feel, in her head, the irrational thoughts must be saying, oh my god, I feel like such a burden. And I feel like yeah. that was what motivated her to put on the arm, so that she doesn't have to rely on other people. That felt like yeah. a very sort of realistic sort of character development. It felt like it really came from somewhere identifiable. Alternatively, AU here. <laughs> Yang heard that and uh, heard the parent that wouldn't leave her, and she wanted to make him proud. It's really sad. Ow. The parent that won't ow. leave her no matter what. <laughs> yeah, ow. <laughs> Jesus. I mean, it's sad, but ow. you can also glean something nice from it because Tai Yang is always there. Blue silver linings. I repress the bad. You put the emotions in the bottle, then you drink the contents of the bottle. Speaking of bottling up your feelings, let's talk about Top Shelf, which is the ship name for Crow and, and the waitress. Already? God oh, damn God. it. <laughs> it's already it's been a two days. <laughs> Man, there were people working on that ship name the second it came yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. It's like the people who Why gift the Oscars in live time. Okay, what I understand from the Ruby fandom is that there could be one sentence passed between these two characters and people will ship them. Yep. And quite frankly, Top Shelf is a much better ship name than Winky Winky Drinky Drinky. <laughs> <laughs> That's also really Bob good. King. So... Bob yeah. King. What yeah. is Port and Ublex ship name? You have five minutes. What's Port Ublex ship name? I mean, I just like calling them the boyfriends, but I'm sure somebody's done it somewhere. Something, something for Woodbound. They're doctor boyfriends. <laughs> really? <laughs> doctor boyfriends. God, you're so no, naive. it's not the Irish best I can coffee. make up. Strong, hard, like Port, alcohol, Ublek, coffee, Irish coffee, thank you. Are you kidding me? Ublek is totally drinking gasoline. No, I have already discussed <laughs> this. Ublek is drinking iced coffee with dust, fire dust, and he's just going ham on it. Dust is the equivalent of energy in this world. So he is Ublek drinking is gasoline. drinking gasoline. <laughs> so we're both right. Good day, sir. I just wanted to, like, name them Port and Starboard. <laughs> oh, God. I like that. Ublek, your eyes are blue like the sea. <laughs> Yarg. So back to Winky Winky Drinky Drinky and the bar scene. Pat, you had something for yeah, this? Yeah, I'm sorry. I was just looking up potential uh, <laughs> Port and Ublek ship names. Uh, Did anyone else see Crow staring at her ass uh, as she left? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but no, I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed that bar scene in general. It felt nice. It, uh, you know, well, I, I don't know if nice is the word, but it made more sense here that this wasn't so much an argument where they were really talking over one another because these were two people who were very like cautious clearly about one another and and wanting to sort of size each other up first and that felt more natural um so i enjoyed the way they played the crow and raven scene um i wanted to talk a bit about raven's magic which obviously she hasn't been in the show for a long time and this is the first real substantial conversation we've had with her um does it give anyone a better handle on exactly what that really kind of unique magical ability that she's got there with the teleportation like What's going on there? I have a thought on that. Well, it's clearly terrifying, yeah. and I think it is, uh, I think it's her way of having the bandits hit hard yes. and then leave quickly. Mm. Um, I think her bandits are actually holed up in a secure location, and they're not roving. Um, they're rather stationary, but then they hop into, uh, towns and inns and places like that, and then they ravage yeah. everywhere, bypassing those natural barriers, and the strong line of defenses going straight to the stubborn citizens which they're stronger than and then kill thus bringing in the grim and then they grab their loot and they hop out 
So the fact that the waitress had such a strong reaction yeah. to seeing, like, you, you'd imagine they're kind of used to seeing hunters and hunters. Ma magic is, is reasonably commonplace, especially like everybody was watching the Vital Festival. There's loads of magic going on there. Yeah, and everyone has their own unique superpower if they're a hunter or a huntress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the fact that this caused her such a visceral reaction is it's probably like the sign of death do you think it's, to these people. Do you think it's a semblance or something else? Can I take that a step further? Yeah. Go. This is going to be crackpot in the extreme. All right. But you, have, you have said that now three times this episode. Like. Uh, okay. Shatter those pots. Embrace your link. <laughs> yeah, do it. Go high roll on those motherfuckers. <laughs> Go for Do it. Do you remember those two empty council seats in the boardroom of evil? Yes. Oh, fuck. What if one of them is permanently empty and one of them is Raven's? All right. Perhaps. My my understanding from the conversation was that she felt pretty strongly negatively about Salem. Um, also, I wanted to know, is this the first time that, like, Salem's name and her presence has really properly been invoked on the show outside of those boardroom of evil scenes. I thought that was interesting. Mm. For her clan to be strong. Maybe that's why she's clan maybe that's why she's clan leader. She managed to steal something so valuable to their survival and that's why she's super cautious of Salem. Cause Salem has a direct reason to go after Raven. Yeah. So Raven's kind of like a a bandit Prometheus. She's on the run from Salem. Yeah, I could see it. Because there's no, we've never seen this anywhere but out of the context of Cinder, Salem, and Raven. Raven clearly is negatively feeling towards Salem. So it seemed like she wanted to, she wanted the relic, right? She wanted to find out where this she, relic is. She wants her clan to live. Yeah, that could be what. What it do you is. do? You take you take what you need to live. That's me. It's mine now. Yeah, she's not she's not exactly sort of a heroic crusader against Salem. But she recognizes the threat that is Salem, and in that sense, she is sort of with the good guys. She's not with them, and she's not against them. She's third party at best. Yeah. Her goals generally align with the good guys. Those of those of survival. I think survival. she's kind of attempting to to play both sides in order to survive, because I have a feeling that the good guys aren't the most, because uh, uh, they're they're tied to the kingdom. Yeah. And uh, Crow had that one line where, you know, kingdom life just doesn't suit some people. Yeah. I, w I wonder exactly why that might be. Like, I expected him to go more in-depth on that. Uh, well, it could be, like, kind of the anarchist style of governance. I mean, you're in a world that will kill you. Wherever you go, you, you could die. So some people's solution to that is gather up all your resources and hole up in one location. And other people are more like, yeah, let's just try to live out here kind of like people north of the wall yeah. in game of thrones yeah where it's more of that survival anarchy kind of thing and defeating salem and wiping out the grim entirely is a good thing for the kingdoms because then the kingdoms can expand their uh, control over the land because then it's just people against people and not people against horrible monster creatures but raven's tribe might be more about the find a good place and take what you need from other people so and mad, mad. anarchy and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of attack on titan The humans will work together because in kingdoms that's easier, but there's always those who'd rather take their chances outside the wall. Yeah, and there are things that'll kill you and eat you. Mm -hmm. I took that in the opposite direction. I thought of Mad Max, just like taking what you can and going on the road. So in this scenario... Well, you have a not... lot of literary devices to yeah. explain what we're thinking. Yeah. <laughs> Raven seemed to be loyal to her clan 
because for whatever reason they she said they raised us. Yeah. She might feel like she owes them their survival. She definitely has a lot of loyalty. She puts a lot of stock in in, in being the leader of she the She does. And the helmet seemed to have tied significance to that. Well, what is strongest creatures? Grim. Strongest of the clan is probably symbolically given a grim head. But for and we know this about Grim, they disappear after a while. Yeah. Well, it was like a, a three-day limit or something on them. They disintegrate, yeah. Yeah, they'll, they'll disintegrate, and they don't leave anything behind, um, which goes to show any, like, grim goliath heads that you see mounted on walls or anything like that. That's all, uh, yeah, they're all fake, um, because you can't have grim pieces. They disintegrate like your free trial after it's done. <laughs> yeah. So, while, while the mask is, uh, it resembles grim um it wouldn't necessarily be part of the yeah. grim it wouldn't be something that you would find on another grim i saw a theory that suggested that maybe it was a it was a uh, fear tactic like like a bit like the white fang in a way you you sort of you're trying to scare people off by by taking inhuman uh elements but more specifically crow seemed to react negatively to it until she moved it maybe he had a bad run-in with the leader because crow seemed to have after going to school, remember, Tyang said they had never been in civilization. That's how they tricked them into the skirt. I really liked getting sort of two halves of that overall, like, uh, piece of development for Crow in two very different kind of conversations. One was a very lighthearted, jovial anecdote, and then the other one was clearly much more dark and, and much more serious, but they were both telling the same story. I thought that was really cool. Sorry, Tyler, carry on. So, uh, Raven, they, they went, obviously... You want to be strong in this clan they went to be hunters the strongest people for their clan because maybe they're the most human maybe they're the most human or they were the strongest or they, they, they were just easy to blend in raven took that and ran with it she trained she became a hunter had a kid and left because she was never in it for her team she was in it for her clan crow's experience in life he saw these people saw this world saw how much they were just trying to be good people and looked at his clan and said, what the fuck are you doing? Maybe he, maybe he like had an argument with the clan leader and he was maybe banished or attacked. Like he had to fight for his right to stay there and he just said, fuck it, I'll leave. Screw you. Screw your mask. It could be as deep as that, but I was just kind of thinking that that mask was something that was passed down from clan leader to clan leader. And Crow was just looking at it like, oh, this is a reminder of a life that I have obviously left long like a long way behind me and the role that my sister has now taken that's got to make him yeah feel that's got to make him feel in some ways inferior in some ways like it's like she's gone back to that life she is like remained in that life that he has abandoned yeah i think on, yeah. On, on some level he must be worried for her but he's probably more scared for like scared of her uh, than she just, is, i just really than love the idea of young crow standing maybe around a campfire and screaming at a man twice his height and size about how he is morally wrong because that seems like a young crow thing crow looks like yeah, some yeah. crow looks like someone who was ruby and had hope and dreams and reality came in and bitch slapped it out of him <laughs> and an interesting thing i just noticed um we've never seen the bronwyn twins go all out like we haven't seen crow go all, all out like we, we saw him fight winter but then yeah. you could see he was gearing up to his next stage of fighting. Yeah, uh, I haven't yeah, seen my final, final form. form. And we haven't even seen Raven actually fight. Yeah. Like, Raven 
just showed up and scared the shit out of Neo. Neo must have seen her before. Neo must have been from a town that she raised to the ground. Maybe not. I think it's more likely that that, uh, that Raven has a reputation, you know, um, uh, that, that she has a kind of, um, uh, like, you see that mask and you see... A red portal. Yeah, and the portal as well. Uh, and, and that's probably what freaks Ra uh, Neo out more than, more than Raven herself. But what that would indicate, at least, is that Raven and Koro both, coming from this clan, uh, must have some, some immense... Or it could just be that, like, Raven just looks scary as shit to Neo. And, like, Neo doesn't... Like, in Neo's thought, she must be going, like, I don't know who the fuck this lady is, but she looks scary as shit. Fuck this shit, I'm out. Doo -doo. I don't know. I think I think if you're at Neo's level, and Neo, Neo's, you know, a pretty, a pretty powerful person as well, from you know to a point i think you at least try uh if uh, to, to, to face an unknown because anyone can look scary i think it has to be reputation that, that, it, that it comes down to there very curious um because they both have kind of unique weapons mm. uh raven more so yeah. um because uh crow has uh three noticeable uh shifts in uh, the weapon like more than like you an argument can be made for Neptune a trident and glaive and gun yeah. um, but not as dramatic as there's, a, there's um, a lot more complexity going on with Pro yeah definitely yeah uh, so it, it definitely falls into the more unique weapon category and also you know we kind of have a feeling that Crow can really go all out and you know level a town probably mm. um because Ozpin clearly wanted him to, you know, stop fighting uh, before he trashed the entire courtyard. Not, not to mention that Crow has been making short work of Grimm all the way down this journey so far without Ruby and team even. Dying. Yeah, completely unnoticed. Maybe, maybe that comes down to Team Ranger being sort of stupid though, because those Grimm were pretty obvious. Like Ruby and Co are just obtuse as fuck. I mean, listen, let's not let's not rule it out. <laughs> it's a possibility. I have slightly more faith in Ren's ability to see when there's danger around. I like to think that Ren, maybe Ren looks to the side, he sees Crow and the Grim just turns around and goes, not my problem, not dealing with this. No, 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 <laughs> just keep walking. Yeah, Ren just like looks around a tree and just sees Crow just like holding a Grim, just <laughs> punching it in the face. And, and Ren's just like, he's got this. No, we, no, no. We're fine. Yeah, Ren turns around. Crow looks at him, looks at the Grim he had by the head, slits the Grim's throat, and just points at Ren, like, and points at the Grim, like, keep your fucking mouth shut, what you've seen. <laughs> and Ren just turns and, like, not my problem. Tyler has a remarkable talent of making it dark. <laughs> I'm from New Jersey, what do you want? <laughs> yeah, so that, that was just something interesting I noticed, is, you know, Crow's got a unique weapon, Raven's got a unique weapon, and I'm actually really looking forward to uh, when they inevitably start fighting. Either each other or other things. Just yeah, I can't. I can't wait. And when that day comes, the world will end. So this is turning into Dragon Ball Z. They just stop fighting, and every blow like kills at least three people. Put your hands in the air and give Crow your energy, so he wins. Final thoughts. I thought this was a really uh, solid piece of character development. Um, I enjoyed every segment. Uh, maybe, maybe except the dream sequence. But you know, I can forgive a dream sequence. Um, overall, though, really solid. Looking forward to more. I can't wait to watch Port face down the most horrifying Grim he's ever seen, the Mouse Grim. Squeak, squeak. 
It brings nothing but disease and famine. <laughs> uh, yeah, my thing uh, with this episode is uh, uh, it's again, um, I, I like episodes kind of like this where we get some good character development and we get like some really interesting conversations and many things occur in the episode, but like three things happened. Uh, and I think that's really cool. Um, I do like yeah. it when things yeah. happen, uh, but I also like it when things occur. Basically, I like watching this show. So uh-huh. go figure. My final thoughts are just like make Yang happy. Like, please, Can someone get on that. <laughs> oh, and my uh, last uh, thing I wanted to uh, say for this episode is uh, shout out to Caesar Altagracia and the environmental team for mm. the in. Uh, and the bar and the tavern and things like that, yeah. and also the uh, badass landscapes and it things was really, like that. Yeah, it was really, really in- innovative. Fuck that one up. Innovative. You fucked that right Damn it. <laughs> I wanted to end on a pun. Blue, and with blue. that, no, that's what we're ending on. Yeah. That's what we're ending on, is you fucking up. <laughs> God damn it. So that's going to be it for the Beacon Broadcast. Uh, thank you all for joining me. Make sure you check us out on Tumblr at beacon-broadcast.tumblr.com. Once again, that is beacon-broadcast.tumblr.com. And check us out on iTunes. I'd like to thank uh, Patrick, Tyler, and Blue for joining me today for doing a fun little podcast. And we'll see you next week. Bye. 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 Joke's on you, Raven. Your daughter can't get knocked out. (laughs) You left behind your greatest ally. Yeah. How the tables have turned. And now she'll have to give Yang a hand. Unlike Yang, they're all right. I think we're going to be making arm puns about Yang for, um, how long did they say Ruby was going to go for? Like, 20 volumes? All right. It's just, at least she's not in arm's way. No, we're not doing that. Gotta hand it to you. That was good. If we're going to be doing this, we should at least get some better arm puns. We're not doing this. There are no better arm puns. I don't have any at hand to use. Everything sucks. One last thing, if you're interested in becoming an editor for the Beacon Broadcast, as well as the Shizno, uh, you can go to our Tumblr, beacon-broadcast.tumblr.com, to find out some details. The deadline for applying is November 30th, so if you're interested, get on that. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino's home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.